This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 52. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, core essentials, preparing your client for deposition, part one. So today we start a multi-part series on prepping your client for deposition. As I indicated in episode 51, we've gotten requests from litigators to cover the core essentials of taking and defending depositions. Everybody loves the intermediate and advanced topics, but we're getting lots of clamoring for some of the fundamentals. So in this part one of preparing your client for deposition, I'm gonna talk about the preliminary work that has to be done for you to properly prepare your client uh, to be examined by an adversary. Now, explaining the deposition process is one of the things that you're going to do to get your client ready. But before you do that, you've got to prepare yourself. Obviously, if you don't have a thorough understanding of the issues in the case, of the key witnesses, of the key facts, and of the strengths and weaknesses, you're going to have a harder time preparing your client. Of course, in order to prepare your client properly and fully, you also have to know the judge, the jury pool, the opposing lawyers. You have to know the climate, political, and social that the case will be tried in because that helps you determine how the client may emphasize or de-emphasize certain facts. It will also help you to understand the landmines to avoid, the things to play up or to play down. All of this will help you develop your theme in the case as well. So preparing yourself to prepare the client isn't just about evidence. There's so much more to it. Lots of layers to world-class client prep for a deposition. Now, I know a few lawyers, and I'm sure you do too, that prepare their clients in the parking lot of a court reporter's office in the 15 minutes leading up to the deposition. You know, it's basically tell the truth, keep your answer short, don't volunteer anything, ask for a break if you're not sure, and if I cough, say you don't know. Obviously, that's no way to prepare a client. In fact, what it is is a great way to lose cases. Now, my approach is very different. It takes more time, but it's much more thorough. I don't remember the last time that any litigator scored a knockout punch against one of my clients in a deposition or anything even close and you can achieve the exact same results. You can put your client on even footing with any litigator out there if you just take the time to prepare. So let's talk about what I do to get my clients ready for their deposition. And by the way, this discussion presumes that my client is going to testify first before I depose the adversary's key witnesses. And you know, you can go back and forth on who should go first. There are great arguments for both. The argument for letting the other side depose your client first is that you're likely to learn a great deal from the examiner's questions about what your adversary knows, doesn't know, what documents they have, what documents they don't have, what theory they're pursuing, and what theory they think you're pursuing. Their questions will tell you all of that, and it's hard for even the most skilled litigator to hide those things. In fact, I've long said that an opposing lawyer's questions in a deposition may be the greatest treasure trove of intelligence ever into what the adversary knows and thinks about the entire lawsuit. So that's really an argument for letting the opposing lawyer depose your client first. The contra argument, of course, is that with you going first, you questioning the other side first, it means that they're not going to know what your client is going to say and so they can't wrap their story around that. So there's a benefit for doing that too. All right, my routine is something like this. I start the prep session several weeks before the deposition with a two-hour, plus or minus, sometimes three hours, privileged interview, usually captured by a court reporter 
or a tape recorder and turned into a transcript. That helps me understand what I'm working with. Think of it as a very light version of an actual deposition. So that's at the outset of deposition prep. At the tail end of my prep, within a day or two of the actual deposition, sometimes the same day as the actual deposition if there's time, I'll conduct another two-hour session with the client. But this isn't an interview and it's not recorded. This will be a mock deposition that perfectly mirrors what the client is about to be subjected to in every way. That way, when the client's deposition begins, he or she is, to borrow a phrase from the military, cleared hot. Fresh from a mirror image of what's about to happen, they're ready to roll and ready to engage the opposing lawyer. Now, in between these two sessions, I do lots of additional work, and that includes explaining the deposition process, the mechanics of it, the actors that will be present and what their roles are, the location, and what's going to happen in what order. I also cover lots of the questions uh, that lawyers ask in depositions that typically trip people up. And you know, there's really no reason for that. It's just a matter of the fact that lots of uh, lay witnesses have never been exposed to a lawyer's phraseology before, and they get hung up on it. So it's good to help the client start to develop what I call a verbal muscle memory. In other words, expose them to some of those questions throughout your prep process so they know exactly what's going to be asked, they know why those questions are asked, and they have a good sense because they've been practicing, they have a good sense about the best way to phrase their answer. On balance, my average prep time for a client uh, for a single deposition runs somewhere between 10 and 15 hours. Not all at one time, of course, broken up over several weeks. In that first two-hour interview of the client in the early stage, as I mentioned, I usually use a court reporter so that I have a word-for-word -word transcript as a resource for the rest of the case. Or, if I want to save a little bit of money, I'll audio tape the interview and then upload it to a service like rev.com, that's rev.com, which will give me a word-for-word -word transcript at quite a bit of a discount from a regular court reporter, and usually within 24 hours. I like using a court reporter for that initial deep dive interview because it formalizes the attorney-client or work product privileged interview. There's a marked difference, as you can imagine, in the way that clients react when they're being interviewed in a court reporter's office under oath or in my conference room with the court reporter versus when we're each sitting on the couches in my office with our feet stretched out, me typing on my laptop. I get a higher and better quality of answer from clients when all the trappings of a legal proceeding are present. And that's beneficial because in evaluating the case and how to approach client prep, I want the very best answers I can get. The same answers that the client is likely to give in the equally formal setting of a deposition. So that's my first step in the journey to world-class deposition preparation. I conduct a thorough examination of my own client modeled after the deposition process, but not exactly like it, on all the topics that would be covered in a deposition. Now I say not exactly like a deposition because at this stage it's just too early to run them through a deposition style grinder. But even so, the fact that the client now is being exposed to the first deposition style setting helps get them ready mentally as well. Because remember that using the approach I use with the deep dive interview that is lightly modeled on a deposition and the mock deposition near the end, with that approach, it means that when the client rolls into their actual deposition, it will be the third time that they're being exposed to that kind of examination 
not the first. All right, so in that initial interview, I, of course, cover all of the key facts in the case as reflected by the pleadings and reflected by various discovery responses, responses to requests for production, responses to requests for admissions, interrogatory answers, and so on. So in many ways, I will conduct that first interview as if I didn't know anything about the case at all. I want it all captured in the transcript that I'm creating, and I want the client to have to run through every bit of it just like they would in their deposition. I cover all of the key facts and issues. I want witness names and contact information if they have it. I want the names of my clients' physicians and the reasons for treatment if that's relevant to the case. I want to know from my client in this interview what key documents the opponent likely has, what key documents my client has. I want to know the roles of everyone involved. And I'll also go into great deal, of course, about the key issues in the case, meaning key events and timelines. If you conduct a semi-formal or formal interview of your own client in this manner, treating it as the functional equivalent of a deposition, you will learn just about everything that the client will say in the actual deposition. So it's a great early dry run to get them mentally ready for this process. And you'll also see how your client will perform in an actual deposition. Are they cutting up? Are they joking around? Are they giving superficial answers when they should be diving deep? Are they doing the opposite, diving deep when a simple yes or no is okay? So this kind of due diligence inquiry as the first step in your depot prep is a fantastic dry run for the actual deposition and will again inform you as to how much work you have to do and the right way to prepare this client for their actual deposition. This is not the mock deposition that I frequently talk about. That's what I do when I get closer to the day of the deposition. That's that two-hour mock examination using the exact style of the opposing lawyer. That's the final prep, just me and the client, no court reporter, because at that point it's too close uh, to the deposition for a transcript to have any value anyway, but that's not the purpose of that last session. I'm talking about the first detailed interview, which is a more loose examination of the client for purposes of figuring out what the issues are that you need to prepare the client on and how to go about it. At that mock examination, uh, that's the more aggressive one. You're, what you're really going to be doing there is testing everything that you've taught the client and to iron out any final kinks. Now, believe me, I appreciate that I'm talking about an investment of a considerable amount of time in the way that I approach clients and suggest that you do it as well. So, of course, you're going to adapt your effort up or down as you see fit, depending on the needs of the case. All right, so I use the transcript from that first interview to develop the framework for my deposition prep. Having heard everything that my client knows and may say about the key issues, now I know how to prepare them. And frankly, now I have a better sense for the questions that the opposing lawyer is likely to ask and the documents that are out there that are likely to be the subject of inquiry that I need to be aware of and possibly concerned about. Now, as part of that initial detailed interview, of course, I also cover a wide range of background questions. And those are important to cover in that initial session because there are all sorts of side issues that can come into play and run your case into a ditch. I remember in my first several months of practice, when I literally had no idea what I was doing, I would sometimes be surprised to learn from an opposing lawyer's questions in the actual deposition that my client had taken documents from the workplace, had recorded conversations in a state where doing so is a felony, and so on. Lots of surprises, lots of headaches. 
So it's important as part of your early depot prep with the client to thoroughly vet the potential side issues that could cause you heartache once you're deep into the deposition and didn't appreciate them. So let's talk about that detailed background inquiry that I do as part of my initial prep interview. There are 25 or 30 things that I always want to know about my client so I know what kinds of side issues might be present in this case that might pop up and bite both of us. As I run through them now, I'll briefly comment for the most part on why I ask them. So here are the questions I ask as part of that prep session, that initial session. In the last three years, have you received Social Security disability or retirement benefits of any kind? That's important because it can go into mitigation of damages. In the last three years, have you been in bankruptcy? That's important because if the client is currently in bankruptcy, odds are that the trustee is your real client and the only person that has authority to make decisions. You also need to know if the client is in bankruptcy currently, whether the client disclosed the lawsuit as an asset on the bankruptcy petition. Now, maybe you do bankruptcy law. I don't, but I know that the standard petition does ask about lawsuits and the failure to list it could result in a form of judicial estoppel, sometimes called judicial fraud, meaning that your adversary can ask the judge to throw the case out because your client is seeking relief from the judicial system in the current case, while at the same time in the bankruptcy proceeding, hiding an asset from the judicial system. All right, next question. Are you in the middle of any legal cases right now? Sometimes you'll be surprised whether you represent plaintiffs or defendants by the fact that your client has other lawsuits pending that they're involved in, whether on the plaintiff side or defense side. And as you'll see, I sometimes ask a variation of this question as I run through my preliminary examination because sometimes clients don't really understand what counts as a legal case. So I will rephrase that a couple times during my preliminary examination to make sure I'm not missing anything or to make sure I'm not using phraseology that the client misunderstands. Next question, are you currently represented by any other lawyers? That will tell me if there's something else cooking in the client's background that I need to know about. If the case relates to an employment situation and my client is a former employee, I will ask them if they did a resignation letter. If so, I want to know what that letter says. I'm often surprised by clients who claim that an employer wrongfully treated them, uh, but who submitted a resignation letter in a very flowery way saying that they want to thank the employer for the opportunities and how much they really enjoyed working there. I ask clients if they kept any journals or diaries about events pertinent to the lawsuit. Many people take notes in one form or another, even if not in the sort of old school diary from the past. And if they were keeping contemporaneous notes, especially if they were doing that before they hired me, such that they might not be privileged, I need to make sure I know and that I see them. I ask clients if they've ever sued anyone before or ever been sued. That's good to know for all kinds of reasons. If they've sued someone before, especially if the prior lawsuit was recent or is still pending, there may be conflicts among the multiple cases in terms of what the client has said about their life or what the client can recover. If they've been sued before, I want to know what for and where and what the outcome was. If I'm representing a defendant, I want to know if the claim that has been filed in the case I've been hired to defend is similar to prior claims that might show a pattern of some kind by my client or might otherwise undermine what it is we're saying. I want to know if the client has any prior criminal convictions, charges, or arrests. And I don't care in what city, what county, what state, what country, and I don't care whether it's a felony or something like a misdemeanor. Those are things I want to know about 
so that I can get out ahead of that issue. I want to know if the client has had contact with or filed complaints with any government agencies, whether city, county, state, or federal. Is there paperwork hanging out there at the EEOC or Department of Labor or OSHA or the SEC that I need to know about? A surprising number of people these days will go online, find a government website, find the page that allows them to submit a complaint, whether anonymous or not, and they'll submit one even while you're representing them. So you've got to know if there's paperwork out there that might do you damage. I want to know what the client's highest level of education is, where they went, when they went, what their degrees were, and whether they have any informal education, certificates, whatever it is beyond that. I want to know if the client's ever been divorced. Divorce files, of course, have some of the most unfortunate content in them that you'll ever find in a clerk's office. If there's something ugly in there, I need to know. And frankly, if there's a, an angry former spouse out there, I need to know about that as well to the extent that the spouse might have information that's pertinent to the case. Even if the former spouse is not angry, it still can pose an issue because exes sometimes talk and there may be communications between them about the case that no longer benefit from a marital privilege if one would otherwise apply in the jurisdiction where you're litigating. So I want to know about that. I want to know if the client has ever received a settlement of any kind. It's just another variation on some of the questions that I ask that touches on prior litigation experience. Sometimes clients who tell me they've never been in a legal case before will answer yes if I ask them if they've ever received a settlement. So just a different way to approach the same uh, topic about prior litigation experience. Here are a couple other variations on that theme. I ask clients if they've ever been in a courtroom and had to talk directly to a judge about something involving them. If necessary, I then go into the details. I ask if they've ever had to hire a lawyer before. Again, great way to find out about past problems. I ask if they have any pending lawsuits or judgments or liens against them. Especially if you're representing plaintiffs, that's important to know because there may be others out there that are going to glom onto the fruits of your labor. I ask clients if they've signed any kind of settlement, separation, confidentiality, or arbitration agreements that might pertain to the case. That's frequently something that clients may not bring up on their own. I ask clients if it's pertinent, whether they receive Medicare or Medicaid benefits. As you may know, the, sometimes the government will tie up your proceeds for years if your client received those benefits and is seeking compensation in the lawsuit for health care that Medicare or Medicaid previously paid for. I ask if there are related entities to the entity that is opposite us in the case. Sometimes, often maybe, depending on your type of practice, you may learn that you've sued the wrong entity if you're a plaintiff or that the wrong entity is suing you if you're the defendant. If it's a job-related case, or even if it's not, and there's an issue of damage mitigation, I will ask clients if they had a hearing with an unemployment office. Depending on how the office conducted its analysis, there may be audio of sworn testimony given by the client about events in your case. Now, the legal standard for whether somebody's entitled to unemployment benefits is, of course, different from the legal standard in actual lawsuits for just about everything. But the one thing that is consistent sometimes is the underlying facts. The underlying facts that your client may have talked about in a sworn unemployment hearing may bear directly on the claims or defenses you've asserted. It can also go to mitigation of damages. Sometimes unemployment offices or departments of labor 
require claimants to submit proof that they've uh, engaged in multiple job searches each week to show that they're actively looking for work and not just sitting back and collecting those benefits. If you're representing someone that needs to prove an effort to mitigate, those printouts from the unemployment office or Department of Labor can be very, very helpful. I ask clients if they've ever given sworn testimony before. That's another great question that often opens the doors to some additional conversation about their background. I ask clients if they've ever put their beliefs about the issues in the case in writing for any purpose and published it to anyone in any form. And that's true whether it was to a friend, a blog post, a company, a government agency, whatever. There's never been greater access to tools to share our opinions whenever and whenever, and many people do exactly that. So you've got to know about it. I ask clients if there's anything on their resume or job application about their education, employment history, or other background matters that are not true. Tough question, and sometimes I get surprising answers. I've questioned many witnesses over the years who admitted in response to perfectly ordinary questions about their backgrounds that they weren't entirely truthful about having college degrees or other certifications that attested to their competency. Stuff like that matters. If a client has lied in any way about their employment history, credentials, or background, very important to know long before the deposition. I ask all clients if they've taped any conversations, audio or video. Depending on the state, that might be perfectly fine or it might be a serious criminal offense. I ask clients if they've accessed or stolen, deleted or otherwise altered or modified in any way computer data pertaining to the lawsuit. As you probably know, there are a wide range, almost preposterous range of criminal laws now, state and federal, that impose serious penalties for almost anything that involves a keyboard, a mouse, and a monitor. So I want to know if there's been any kind of funny business by my client relating to the other side's data, if they had access to it. And I've got to know that early on, because if the client committed anything close to a criminal act, I've got to send them to a criminal defense lawyer first. I sure don't want them testifying in a deposition about anything like that that would remotely expose them to uh, criminal jeopardy without discussing it with them in advance, getting their approval, and getting the opinion and approval of a criminal defense lawyer. I ask clients what documents they have in any form and stored in any location. And we spend a lot of time talking about that because many clients, understandably after time has passed, forget about documents that they have and forget about places where they stored them. I ask clients about what documents the adversaries may have that I might want to see or that I need to be concerned about. Again, in this inquiry as well on documents, I try to exhaust the client's knowledge about what's out there that I want to see or need to know about. I ask for the names of all the actors involved, anyone who's a potential witness, their contact information, and a short summary about each witness's title, their role, and what documents they may have. I ask clients about social media posts. Everybody has a keyboard at their fingertip these days, and most people use them the minute they have a thought. Very important to know if your client has posted anything relating to the matter that might come back to bite you in a deposition. And I want to know if they've deleted anything from a social media profile. And I'm sure as you know, deleting their profiles doesn't generally do anything except make the profile inaccessible to them, still generally available and still subject to subpoena. Uh, most of the major social media sites, including Facebook, will store the user data 
for a very long period of time, even if your client, the end user, has deleted the profile. I ask clients if they've ever been declared mentally incompetent or ever been incapacitated for any period of time. I ask them if they've filed all their tax returns. Sometimes, depending on the jurisdiction in the court, the law allows an adversary to at least raise the issue of being a tax cheat in front of a jury. I ask clients, especially if they're a plaintiff, if they've ever taken out any lawsuit loans. That's good to know. I ask them if they've seen any health care providers for care relating to the claims or defenses. And I also ask generally uh, about any serious health conditions, physical or mental, even if the client thinks that they don't relate to the case. Sometimes, again, these things can go sideways if an issue comes up and you don't know about it. I ask clients if they've posted anything on any websites relating to the case. Again, very common these days. And I ask clients if they've used fake names or pseudonyms in any way relating to the case, the parties, or the issues. Quite a number of people these days create bogus email addresses or post things online under pseudonyms, and I want to know if those things are out there. By the way, uh, it's also sometimes useful to ask clients very similar questions about friends and family. Oftentimes you'll find that uh, a client has had a friend or a family member do something relating to the case uh, that they probably shouldn't have. So it's useful to know at least to some of these questions and you'll have to use your judgment if a friend or a family member has done anything or has been involved in some way that you need to know about. All right, so uh, we can wrap up. That's not an exclusive list, but it gives you a pretty good feel for the broad topics I like to cover. Of course, there may be other topics you cover depending on the facts in your case. If I examine my clients properly in this preliminary deposition prep interview, I will have an excellent sense for what their deposition is going to look like and I can begin the process of preparing them in detail. Apart from knowing the issues, the merits of the case, the strengths and weaknesses, I need that preliminary take on the client's background as well. I don't want to leave anything unexplored that an opposing lawyer might cover that I haven't. We never want to get caught off guard about anything that could conceivably come up in the deposition. I don't remember who said it, but there was somebody a while back who said there are basically three categories of information. Known knowns, meaning things we know we know about. Known unknowns, meaning things we know are out there but we don't have the information about them yet. And unknown unknowns meaning things we don't even know that we don't know about yet. So the deeper your dive in that preliminary prep interview of the client, the less likely it is that you're going to run into unknown unknowns in your deposition. All right, so that's it for today. Step one in preparing a client for deposition is preparing yourself, knowing the issues, knowing the witnesses, knowing the documents, and knowing potential infirmities in both the case and in your client's background. In the next episode, part two, I'll talk about the preliminary deposition prep conversation with the client, not an information gathering interview, but where I share information with the client about the deposition process itself, the function of depositions, what I tell clients about that, how they're going to be used against the client, the configuration of the room, what the court reporter does, who's present, what judges do with transcripts, and so on. So I want them to understand again, to use a sports analogy, even though I'm not a big sports fan, I want them to be familiar with the arena in which they're going to do battle. It's helpful for clients that have high anxiety, and it's helpful for clients who are supremely competent, either the ones that have a false sense of security and know nothing, 
or the ones that have gone to internet law school and have read just about everything online about the deposition process. Obviously, some things online are probably accurate, uh, but I have my own approach to this, and that's what I want the client to work from. All right, one more thing. Uh, is there anything that you do in your deposition prep that I haven't talked about in that initial preliminary prep session? If so, shoot me an email at jim at jimgarritylaw.com, and our staff will take a look at it, and we may address it in a future episode. But if there's something significant that you do that you feel is very helpful to prepping your client, share it with us, and we'll share it with the other listeners. All right, that's it for today. Thank you, as always, for listening, and be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based, 10,000 Depositions Later, The Premier Litigation Guide to Superior Deposition Practice, third edition, 450 pages, available just about everywhere you get your books.